You're listening to an encore presentation from the Transformation Talk Radio Network. The vibration of change, that magical place where life shifts from struggle to ease, from stagnation to forward movement, from old ways of being to new ways of becoming. Yes, it can seem rather elusive to get there, but when you are in it, you feel it down to your very core, and it can positively affect everything in your life, from your relationships to your health and well-being, from your career path to your abundance, from the quality of your inner connection to the fullness of your self-expression. Here on The Christine Uptrich Show, we explore ways to get into that vibration of change with experts in the fields of consciousness, psychology, spirituality, health, healing, and science. Are you ready to step into your vibration of change? Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Christine Uptrich Show, where we have stellar conversations to illuminate your journey. I'm talking to you today from sunny and very cold Seattle here on KKNW AM 1150 (laughs) here at Hubbard Radio. You might be listening in Connecticut, New York, or Rhode Island on WBLQ AM 1230. Hello out there. You might be listening on one of the 35 stations in Australia or anywhere around the world on Transformation Talk Radio. But wherever you're listening from today, either live or on the archives on ChristineUpchurch.com, thank you for joining us. We are going to be talking about something that is extremely important, something we've never talked about here on the show before, at least in any direct manner. But before I tell you what that is and who our wonderful guest is today, I want to say hello to my better half here in the studio who allows you to hear these wonderful conversations, Mr. Benny Mathers. Good morning, Benny. Hi, and uh, good day, and happy officially 2017 to you. Yes, happy new year, and happy new year to all Mm -hmm. you out there who are listening. 2017 has got to be a great year, right? I'm looking forward to it. We know it's a one year. Uh huh. Right. That's starting. Right. Yeah, starting because we just ended a nine year. I totally felt that uh-huh. it being a nine year. Oh yeah. So I'm ready to go. So, so did I, and I think a lot of people did. I I saw <laughs> memes on Facebook. Yeah. People like lighting fires, you know, behind them for 2016, <laughs> and and uh, I actually wrote a blog about it as well. What oh, I good. what yeah. I think is going on energetically. Okay. But um, and I also want to wish you a happy birthday. Thank you. Yes, uh, two days into my forties, I'm doing Yay. okay. I've I've made it so far. I'm looking forward to the weekend. I think I'm going to finally uh, let loose a little bit tomorrow. Uh-huh. And uh, it, there was a little bit of a, a flu th- kind of bug going around uh, this area. Right. So I kind of took it easy earlier in the week. My boys had it, and so uh-huh. uh, we're much better now, though. Oh, that's I'm ready great. to kick off this weekend. That's great. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I'm I'm happy for the new year for all of us and your new year as well. Thank you. You know, we have never really talked about vaccinations on this show. I, you know, this is an alternative talk show. We talk a lot about consciousness. We talk a lot of, about truth and. In the vein of both and physical well-being, this is an, an extremely important topic. You know, um, I have some very specific perspective on it as a mom, um, had some experiences with it. But my kids were fortunate in, in, in some ways. And there's some children out there who have been altered and there is some evidence perhaps it's controversial and we're going to find out why it's controversial and why it should not be controversial but there are children out there who are being affected by the vaccinations in a negative way and you know I've been looking for somebody who can be really thorough as a former research statistician turned energy healer I wanted somebody who could really look at 
not just like one little aspect of it, but look at the topic broadly and and present this in a very analytic, rational way instead of just saying it feels wrong or there's, you know, some cases here. And and our guest today is just that person. He is an attorney. He's a science teacher. He is the co-author of Plague, One Scientist's Intrepid Search for the Truth About Human Retroviruses, Chronic Fatigue Syndrome, Autism, and Other Diseases that he wrote with Dr. Judy Mikovits. And he also is the author of this new book, Inoculated, How Science Lost Its Soul in Autism. I'd like to welcome our guest today, Kent Heckenlively. Thanks a lot for having me, Christine. This is a topic that seems to create a lot of reactivity one way or another. Either there are people out there who really believe that vaccinations are helping the greater good. And when when people talk about how, you know, it may be associated with autism or there may be one that's associated with, you know, some other kind of developmental delays, whatever it is, there'll be the rolling of the eyes like, oh, conspiracy theory. And then there's the other school of thought that's basically saying, wait a minute, we're injecting these things into our babies and young children. We need to think twice about this. And some people will say, absolutely not. not you're not touching my child with that. And that in and of itself is getting controversial. Why is this something that we should be looking at in a very rational and complete way? Well, you know, I love the intro that you uh, gave to the show because, you know, I'm a I'm an attorney. I worked as an attorney for 15 years. For the past 10 years, I've been a science teacher. I think both those professions are interested in getting to the truth of things. Uh-huh. That's the way we live our lives. We live our lives in truth. And, you know, I think that science has a sacred obligation to tell the truth without fear or favor. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's something that people on both sides of this issue, you know, would, would strongly agree with. And so, uh, you know, I've I've had my personal journey with my kids and having one uh, daughter with very severe autism and seizures mm-hmm. and another child who had a very bad reaction to his vaccines, um, but I was able to uh, keep from going down that path. So I've got one completely healthy kid and one very sick kid. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, that made me an activist about 15 years ago. And what brought me to this newest book, Inoculated, How Science Lost Its Soul in Autism, was in two, the summer of 2014, a senior scientist at the CDC, Dr. William Thompson, mm-hmm. of the Immunization Safety Division of the CDC, turned federal whistleblower. That means he applied for federal whistleblower protection, uh-huh. and he turned over more than 10,000 documents to the office of Congressman William Posey, which has since been turned over to the House Government Reform and Oversight Committee. And the claim that Dr. Thompson made is that when the CDC investigated whether earlier administration of the MMR vaccine, that's the measles, mumps, and rubella vaccine, was linked to increased rates of autism, that the CDC did that study, they got the initial data, it showed a link, it showed a link with two specific groups, First of all, African-American males, Uh there's a 3.4-fold increase, so roughly a 340% increase. That's huge, um, statistically speaking. Which is huge, yeah. Yeah. Anything over 2.0 is looked at as definitive. 
another group called called isolated autism, which the rest of the sane world just calls normally developing children, those who don't have any other health condition. Now mm-hmm. it's about a 2.4-fold increase. So what Thompson alleges is that when the CDC got this information back, this group of about five scientists came up with a way to get rid of the signal, so to take it from 3.4 down to about 1.8, so they could say, that it was below the level at which we need to worry about. And even with that, they came up with a phony excuse as to why that number might have been a little bit higher. Mm-hmm. So th- um, we're, we're talking altering the data after the data had been accepted, had been analyzed, and then adjusting the data to uh, eliminate the information to make it look like it's not so bad. Yeah, and it was really interesting because, um, you know, I've, I've often gotten the question, you know, what did these scientists think, you know, what were they trying to do? And it was really interesting because in the documents that I received from Congress, I got their original research plan. And it was a really solid research plan. Uh But they changed the research plan. Now, anybody who knows anything about science, you know that you don't never change the data. The data is the data. And so there is no greater crime in science than altering the data. And that's exactly what they did. Um, you know, I've gone over these documents. It's, you know, plain as day. It's being investigated. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, for those who may think that, you know, those who have concerns about vaccines, you know, are conspiracy theorists, all I can say is, well, you know, it's really tough to be a conspiracy theorist when you get documents from Congress, you read them, and then you write about them. Uh-huh. I mean, it doesn't get much more mainstream than that. Right. And that's that's what I did in this book. And and so the the kind of data altering you're talking about isn't the kind that I think a lot of people envision where they get in, they change the numbers. They actually eliminated a, a, a several of um, the subjects so that they yeah, weren't they, they, analyzed in the database. Yeah, they, they took away about a third of the uh, African-American males to make the effect go down significantly where it would be below statistical significance. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's just like, you know, I can think of no more wicked crime than covering up harm to children. Mm -hmm. And what's really evil about what they did is that they used the the results from this fake study as well as an earlier study where they did the same thing um, to commit the government in 2004 not to spend any significant federal dollars investigating the question of vaccines and autism. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's really difficult for me to come up with a more wicked crime against humanity that doctors and scientists could perform than to cover up harm to children. Right. I I wholeheartedly agree. And, you know, um, the story and and your book are absolutely fascinating. I think that it could be turned into. I mean, if if this were fiction, this would be like a John Grisham kind of book <laughs> turned into a Hollywood blockbuster movie because there are twists and turns, and you you have to take a look at where the money is, and it's it's just fascinating and terrifying. We have to go to a, a quick break, but we will be back in just a few moments with Ken Heckin Lively and. We'll be looking at Inoculated, How Science Lost Its Soul in Autism. I'm Christine Upchurch, and this is a Stellar Reflections Minute. Years ago, when facing cancer, without any immediate treatment options, 
I sought healing by making various life changes. For a while, I followed a very restrictive diet. I often found myself obsessing about which foods were good and which ones were bad. Then one day I realized I was consuming foods based on fear, fear of not getting well. But I didn't want to make choices out of fear anymore. I decided it was far better for my immune system if I allowed myself to experience the joy that came from, say, eating frozen yogurt, than it was for me to ingest the fear that came from avoiding it. Now, instead of choosing healthy habits based on fear, I try to make choices because they feel right and ultimately bring me joy and ease. How many of your healthy habits are really based on fear? Please visit StellarReflections.com or call 425-999-9836. That's 425-999-9836. Are you ready to branch out? Take a leap of faith. Tune in to Get Rooted Radio with Erica Gifford-Mills on TransformationTalkRadio.com to equip, empower, and enlighten yourself. Erica will energize and excite you to power up your passionate dream that sets your soul on fire. So... Get fearlessly ready and get powerfully rooted in your yes to live it up, love it up, and let it go. Visit GetRootedRadio.com. The vibration of change, that magical place where life shifts from struggle to ease, from stagnation to forward movement, from old ways of being to new ways of becoming. If you're like I am, it can be rather elusive to get there. But when you are in it, you feel it down to your very core, don't you? And it can positively affect everything in your life, from your relationships to your health and well-being, from your career path to your abundance, from the quality of that inner connection to the fullness of your self-expression. On The Christine Upchurch Show, we explore ways to get into that vibration of change with experts in the fields of consciousness, psychology, spirituality, health, healing, and science. Join me, Christine Upchurch, every Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on KKNW AM 1150 and Transformation Talk Radio and learn new ways to step into your vibration of change. Are you meeting your sales goals? Or maybe your business plan could use a dose of the divine. Tune in to Divinely Driven Results with faith-based business coach Elise Smith on TransformationTalkRadio.com. Coach Elise Smith helps listeners get unstuck from their business plateau and become empowered through divine guidance. Build up belief in yourself and your dreams and learn business strategies that work for you for real lasting results. Learn more by visiting www.DivinelyDrivenResults.com. You're listening to an encore presentation from the Transformation Talk Radio Network. Welcome back to the Christine Upchurch Show here on KKNW, WBLQ, and Transformation Talk Radio. I'm talking today to Kent Heck and Lively. And Kent, before the break, you were talking about um, the study associated with the looking at the, the association between the, the measles, mumps, rubella, the MMR vaccine, and autism. Now, when you analyze the data in a straightforward way and you don't throw out a bunch of, of kids, um, what sorts of effects are we seeing? Well, yeah, I'm glad you, you came back to that because there's something else I wanted to add about that. So what was happening at the time is that there was sort of a natural experiment that was developing that the CDC took advantage of, which was, the MMR vaccine was given at about 36 months. That was the recommended time. Uh-huh. And so, so the they first had a whole one, bunch... the first one at 36 months. Yeah, so okay. they had a whole bunch of data about that. That was okay. great. Then 
the recommendation was to give it earlier at you know, 12, 18, 24 months. So mm-hmm. really set itself up as a nice sort of um, comparison. Okay, So you're seeing a, a significant increase in uh, autism among, among African-American males. You're seeing it in, in normally developing children, real clear, strong effects. But one of the, the weaknesses I want to point out is that all they were looking at was the MMR shot at 36 months and before 36 months. Mm-hmm. Well, it's a little bit like studying lung cancer rates with one group that gets smokes two pa- packs of cigarettes a day and another group that smokes one pack of cigarettes right. a day. There's no control group. Good science has a control group. Right, that, right. And so, you know, what I'm saying is that they didn't even do a proper study. Uh-huh. You know, you got to have a control group that didn't get the MMR vaccine to really know what the effects are. But, you know, there's, know- there's such attachment to the notion that the, the vaccinations are necessary that it could be that medical science thinks it's unethical to do that. Yeah, but it really gets you in a catch twenty two. I'm sure they thought. Yeah. I'm sure they thought bloodletting was, uh, you know, very good <laughs> centuries ago. But you know, you got to actually study these things. And, right. You know, that's that's why I say, you know, science, you know, is supposed to do its research without fear or favor. Mm-hmm. Whatever it finds is what it's supposed to be to report because we depend on that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and I think one of the problems that has come about. Um, and I think that this is one of the reasons why I'm really kind of unique as a writer um, is that I have both a law degree and I'm a science teacher. Uh-huh. So I, I look at this in a couple different ways. And one of the things that I think is always shocking to people is to realize that in 1986, Congress passed and President Reagan signed something called the National Childhood Vaccine Injury Act, okay, what is which that? took all childhood vaccines out of the regular traditional civil court system and put them in this special thing called a vaccine court, which has very different rules of evidence. So let me explain it to you. So let's say your listeners are, uh, you know, making toast one morning and their toaster catches fire, Uh burns down their kitchen. Uh Well, you can sue the manufacturer of the toaster. The The manufacturer has to disclose all complaints they've gotten about toasters catching fire you can depose the engineers at the company. You can, you know, depose anybody to, to find out what's going on. Nothing even remotely similar exists in vaccine court. The vaccine manufacturers are totally removed from the equation. Instead, really? you're having to apply for a fund that's held by the United States government. So you're going up against Justice Department attorneys. Oh, um, and even with all of those problems, what's really amazing is that this fund has paid out over $3.2 billion for vaccine injuries to children wow. since, since it started in, you know, essentially 1988. And what was really interesting, and this is where I, I think I'm, you know, my lawyer hat comes in, is I thought to myself, okay, well, there's this vaccine court that nobody seems to know about. Mm-hmm. Let me go and, you know, talk to some people about that. So one of the people I interviewed was one of the very senior judges of the vaccine court who told me that since they made some changes in 1995, the court really hasn't been working very well. Um, I went and interviewed a Stanford law professor who is one of the few academics who'd actually studied the court, Uh and she told me that the court wasn't working and that 
Um, you know, it didn't serve as a model for any other type of courts like it. And, you know, I found myself going like, you know, okay, so the parents don't like this court. Mm -hmm. The people who are working in this court don't think it's working. And you got academics who study it, and they say it's not working. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, with my sort of twin um, hats of lawyer and science teacher, I say to myself, well, bad laws really create this environment in which injustice can thrive. Mm -hmm. And that's really what's happened. So, you know, when people ask me what should be done, I said, you know, it's really kind of simple. It's, you know, it's my toaster example. Right. Put vaccines back in the regular court system, you know, and let the court system work through this. You know, you will have, um, you know, if vaccines were under the same laws that any other consumer products were under, um, we would relatively quickly have a much safer system. And, um, you know, we would get to the truth much quicker right. than we would with this vaccine court that exists. And in the current system, is there a way to to make the pharmaceutical company responsible for manufacturing the vaccine that caused the, the sometimes permanent damages to the child? Is there any way to make them be held liable? Absolutely none. Whoa. And here's what's even worse. So let's say you have a... Uh, physician who just keeps excellent records, okay? Uh -huh. So let's say your child goes in for a vaccine, uh, they get the shot, that night you notice the kid is screaming his head off, uh -huh. um, he's got a fever, you take him to the emergency, the doctor says, oh my God, it seems like you've got an encephalopathy here, uh -huh. you know, and then the, you know, the kid is later diagnosed with autism. You know, you have all those great records and you go, look, I got the vaccine, uh -huh. my kid get, got a brain swelling, uh -huh. then they got autism. Okay, great. And the court, one of the really amazing things in talking to this very senior judge was I'd asked him the question of whether the vaccine court had ever compensated kids for autism. Mm -hmm. And it was really funny. His formulation was, no, we have never compensated a case of vaccine-induced autism. And I said, well, God, I, I hear all these other cases that you actually have. And he goes, the proper formulation is that a kid gets a vaccine and then they get an encephalopathy, which is a brain swelling. Uh -huh. And on the damages side, oh, yeah, we'll compensate you for autism as a result of brain swelling. <laughs> and, you know, uh, to the average person, it's like, well, if I, my kid didn't get the vaccine, he wouldn't have had autism, right? Right, right. Um, so oh, have, oh that, that, that's really bad. <laughs> well, you know, and it, you know, doing an interview with a person like that, you know, you're always kind of, you know, it's dependent upon the goodwill of both parties. So, uh -huh. you know, I got him to say it, you know, several times. So your formulation is you've never compensated a kid for the development of autism, but you have compensated vaccines for causing encephalopathy. And in damages, you, you know, uh, autism is one of the results of damages. Oh, yeah, sure. We've done that a lot. Uh -huh. <laughs> I just I found myself going like, oh, my God, you know, I would hit my head against the wall. Right, right. Well, it's it's a way of having some financial responsibility without the, the statement of the factual responsibility for the, you know, the effect of the vaccination. Yeah. That's, oh, that's really bad. <laughs> well, yeah. you know, um, my f oldest son, when he was, I guess he was six months old, I think it was his second or third vaccination. He didn't have the MMR, he had the DPT. Mm -hmm. And it was formulated differently back then. 
Yeah. He, within a couple of hours of bringing him home, he had about a two-hour period where he was screaming this high-pitched screaming sound that I'd never yeah. heard come out of him before. And, let, you know, I called him. They said, oh, yes, this this can be one of the effects. And, um, you know, I later a doctor said brain swelling. And I'm really so grateful and so fortunate that he didn't develop autism. Yeah. And yet it, it sort of alerted me, like, there's there's a problem here. And I actually stopped giving him vaccinations and his and his younger brother never got any at all. But yeah. I, I know that the way people view it is they they think, well, it's it's probably not really out there. And if it is, it's so rare. And really, my child benefits from it. Is there evidence that kids are actually benefiting from vaccinations? That's a great question. I always point people to this 1999 article from the Journal of the American Medical Association, which looked at historic trends of the rate of death um, from infectious diseases. Uh And this article says, you know, when we look at the trends over time, we really see that the the death rates from these things dropped like 95% before um, the introduction of these vaccines. And it, it seems to be much more you know, clean, cleaner water, cleaner food, you know, better sanitation. Mm-hmm. These things are really, you know, dramatic because when you think about it, um, a vaccine is a trick on the body. It really is. It's not building up strength. You're tricking the body. Uh-huh. And sometimes the trick works and sometimes it doesn't. So tell me an example of how you're tricking the body. Well, what you're doing it is, you know, you're giving it supposed to give it a mild or inactivated virus. Uh-huh. So the body is responding by producing antibodies, which will hopefully give you protection. Right. Um, so it's not natural immunity. It's not, you know, you being exposed to something and your body mm-hmm. firing it off because you're healthy and everything. Uh-huh. You know, it's a little bit of a trick. You know, they got, they got aluminum in it because it'll stimulate the immune response. Well, the, the problem that so many people are suffering is... We've got autoimmune problems going on in a vast number of our population. Mm-hmm. What is autoimmunity? Autoimmunity is the immune system is, is, is not working properly. Right. It's attacking the wrong things. And it seems to me that it's just a natural question that if we have an epidemic of autoimmune problems, we have to ask the questions, well, how is the immune system getting thrown off? Well, mm-hmm. maybe vaccines which are supposed to be tricking the immune, the immune system to fighting off something um, to protect them, right. maybe that's going horribly awry. So- and, and what's so terrifying about that to me, Kent, is the fact that, you know, when we were kids, when we got vaccinations, they were few and far between. And when we were older, and these days there are so many vaccinations given that we don't know what's going to happen to this generation of, of young children once they get to be middle-aged and when the autoimmune illnesses seem to really become rampant. Um, so we're, we're really like in this big scientific experiment that with our, our kids and ultimately as adults when they grow up are the subjects of this experiment. Yeah, I, I'm 53 years old. So the schedule I was under was pretty much that I got about five vaccines before I went to kindergarten. Uh-huh. Um, so now the schedule is uh, 49 doses of 16 different vaccines oh. before the age of six, with about 25 of those doses coming in the first year of life. Oh, my well, goodness. You, you can go to any biology textbook, and it'll tell you that the immune system really isn't properly functioning until kids are about three or four years old, mm-hmm. okay? Right. So 
why are we giving these massive amounts of vaccines to children whose immune systems are not mature? Right, right. You know, and I think the worst example of that is the hepatitis B vaccine. Oh, my goodness, yes. Which, you know, is given on the first day of life. And when you do the research and you find out, okay, how does hepatitis B spread? Well, Uh it spread through IV drug usage or promiscuous sexual activity. And it lasts, protection lasts for about 10 years. So are we really worried about our 10-year-olds, you know, becoming IV drug users or promiscuous sexual yes. activity? Oh, that's no. so twisted, yeah. You know, the, the story gets to be um, <laughs> more and more complex and more and more disturbing. And we will talk more about this in just a few moments. The vibration of change. That magical place where life shifts from struggle to ease, from stagnation to forward movement, from old ways of being to new ways of becoming. If you're like I am, it can be rather elusive to get there, but when you are in it, you feel it down to your very core, don't you? And it can positively affect everything in your life, from your relationships to your health and well-being, from your career path to your abundance from the quality of that inner connection to the fullness of your self-expression. On The Christine Upchurch Show, we explore ways to get into that vibration of change with experts in the fields of consciousness, psychology, spirituality, health, healing, and science. Join me, Christine Upchurch, every Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on KKNW AM 1150 and Transformation Talk Radio and learn new ways to step into your vibration of change. Do you sometimes feel overwhelmed by your mind? Powerless when it seems to spin in worry circles or bombard you with self-critical thoughts? Do you want to learn how to master your mind and feel more in control of your life? Listen to Dr. Friedman's Empowerment Radio. Shift from confusion to clarity, self-doubt to confidence, and from anxiety to peace and balance. Dr. Friedman and his many guest experts share the insights and tools you want to live with greater ease, joy, and purpose. Tune in to Empowerment Radio every first and third Thursday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time. Your eternal purpose is calling out to you each and every day. Are you listening? Tune in to Dynamic Destiny Radio with Coach Pete Cafarcio every first and third Wednesdays at 9 a.m. Pacific on TransformationTalkRadio.com. Learn to be your authentic self and live the life that you were destined for. Learn practical tools to discover your purpose and conquer other fears that keep you stuck in a life of mediocrity. Learn more about Coach Pete by visiting PeteCoaching.com. This is Peggy Snow, practitioner at Stellar Reflections with a Stellar Reflections Minute. So many people these days are trying to find ways to relieve their stress. What happens to our breathing when we're feeling overwhelmed and stress? When we tune in, we realize that we're either holding our breath or taking very shallow breath. To signal the body that all is well, which most of the time it is, sometimes all that is needed is a nice, deep breath to break the cycle. First, exhale to get all the stale air out by engaging the abdominal muscles and blowing gently. Next, take a nice, full breath in, feeling it fill your body all the way down to your hips. Release fully and enjoy the freedom of movement. Notice how your body feels. Do you feel refreshed? Calmness is only a breath away. This has been a Stellar Reflections Minute. For more information about what we offer at Stellar Reflections, visit us at StellarReflections.com or call 425-999-9836. That's 425-999-9836. You're listening to an encore presentation from the Transformation Talk Radio Network. 
Welcome back to the Christine Eptur Show here on KKNW, WBLQ, and Transformation Talk Radio. I'm having a really interesting conversation today with Kent Heckin-Lively, author of Inoculated, How Science Lost Its Soul in Autism. Now, Kent, I am really fascinated by sort of the backstory about how some of this data came out and like the, the, the politics behind all this, because clearly there is data that indicates there is a link, at least for certain subpopulations. There's a link between the MMR vaccination and um, autism. Yeah, you know, it, it's really interesting, and, and I kind of compare it to the Edward Snowden story, uh-huh. um, because what happened is when the CDC did this study on the MMR vaccine... And, and by the way, let's uh, just, CDC is the Center for Disease Control here in the United States. Yes. It's, it's a governmental agency. Yes, go ahead. Yeah. Um, so when they did the study, there were five scientists who were working on it, and there was a scientist who is basically number four in the, um, um, in the group, and he was the statistician of the group, uh-huh. and he was also the tech guy. And he really had a lot of trouble with what they were finding and the results because he was the one who was tabulating this. Uh-huh. Um, and he actually did a number of things to try and draw attention to this. Um, most notably, what he did was he wrote a letter. He broke the chain of command and wrote a letter to the head of the CDC, at that time Dr. Julie Gerberding, saying, I'm supposed to present these findings at the Institute of Medicine, and it's going to be really troubling. Um, I need, we need to talk about this. Uh-huh. And instead of the head of the CDC, Dr. Gerberdine, inviting him in and saying, let's talk about this because we want to protect the public, um, Dr. Thompson was sanctioned for breaking the chain of command. Um, he got, you know, very upset about all of this and then, you know, was, was recommended for anger management for his claim that they were not, you know, uh, properly concerned about vaccine safety. And it went so far as the scientists got together on a Saturday afternoon at the CDC to throw all of this information away into a garbage can, including the computer files. Okay, wait a minute. So we're talking a Saturday afternoon, a weekend. How, How many people were involved? Uh, there were five of them, okay. the five scientists um, involved in the study. Um, and then Dr. Thompson uh, thought that this was illegal to be destroying these documents, so right. he maintained um, copies of all the documents. And I really wish in 2003, 2004, when this had taken place, he had gone to the New York Times or somebody to get them to publish it. He didn't. Uh-huh. He tried to work internally, was frustrated, right. and then just kind of sat on it until... November of 2013, when he made contact with Dr. Brian Hooker, who is a, uh, who's a scientist, he's a college biology professor now at Simpson University mm-hmm. in uh, Redding, California, and he was one of the lead um, parent advocates for um, interfacing with the CDC many years ago. And it, it's unclear, I, uh, personally, I think that Thompson his conscience just started getting to him after all these years. And he wanted to talk to somebody. Mm-hmm. And so uh, he knew that Hooker had been trying to get information from the CDC for years, uh-huh. filing Freedom of Information Act requests, didn't get anywhere. And and Thompson did something that was really interesting. He started telling Hooker how to really get the information he was looking for. Uh-huh. And I think that Thompson was also on the inside being one of the people 
who is tasked with responding to those requests for information. Got it. So on the one hand, Thompson is telling Hooker how to ask for this information that's uh-huh. supposed to be available. Right. And on the inside, Thompson was making sure that Hooker got the information. Uh-huh. And then Hooker started running the analysis. And basically within a half an hour, Hooker said, oh, my God, there's a huge effect for African-American males. Uh-huh. And Thompson had said, oh, you found it. Right. <laughs> and right. from that, um, you know, Hooker and Thompson really began this friendship for you know, a period of uh, six to eight months, which, you know, resulted in um, Hooker saying, you need to get a whistleblower attorney. You need to turn all of this over to Congress. Uh I can't do this with you anonymously on the inside. Uh You need to come out of the shadows. Right. And and to his credit, Thompson Thompson did all of that. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, and and I think one of the things that kind of got me spiritually in this is that I was thinking like, God, there are more than a million children with autism. Mm. This is a terrible, devastating disease. And here I'm writing about somebody who is a participant in that terrible corruption. I mean, yeah. you know, it's like the Catholic Church covering up, you know, uh, abuse of children by right. priests. Right. Yeah. Um, and you, you just find yourself going, I, I hate this person with every part of my being. Mm-hmm. And yet at the same time, you realize that they're a human being, and you know they they were troubled by this, and and they're trying to do the right thing. Yeah. And so, you know, to his credit, Thompson, you know, came through. I wish his his courage had been, you know, there twelve years earlier. But, you know, if he had not done this, we wouldn't have this information, and we'd still just have our suspicions. And right. you know, people like me would be pointing out weaknesses in the data. But you know very few people would listen to us Uh because they'd say, oh, heck, you're just a science teacher there at the CDC. Mm -hmm. Um, But now this this is different. So how do we, at this stage, I think that mainstream media and many people who are, you know, mainstream or even somewhat alternative believe that what they've been telling us all along is true. How do we get from the the data that's now in the hands of people who can analyze it and speak the truth and get it into the minds of the mainstream and and affect at least the the individual choices that parents make. Yeah, well, one of the really interesting uh, twists to the story as I was putting it together was that I heard rumors that um, uh, then Republican candidate for president Donald Trump had met with Dr. Andrew Wakefield, who's the British researcher who had first suggested a link between the MMR vaccine and autism, uh-huh. um, as well as gastrointestinal problems. And so I'd interviewed uh, Dr. Wakefield for the book um, to get his perspective. And so I had his phone number, so I called him up and I said, Andy, I hear this rumor that you met with Trump. True uh-huh. or not? He uh-huh. goes, oh, yeah, it's true. I'm like, oh, my God, let me get my tape recorder. Uh-huh. So... Um, you know, I, I interviewed uh, uh, Andy Wakefield about it, as well as another guy who was there, um, Gary Kompotherkis, a, a doctor in Florida. And so they asked me not to reveal that information till after the election, which I, I kept. Uh-huh. Um, but on August 11th, 2016, uh, Donald Trump sat down with Andy Wakefield and a group of other autism advocates for a meeting that lasted a little under an hour. Um, all of this information I've been talking about with you today has been shared 
with Donald Trump. Mm -hmm. Um, Andy Wakefield has put together his own documentary about this story because Brian Hooker recorded four conversations that he had with the whistleblower going Mm -hmm. over lots of these points. They were legally recorded conversations. Um, And it's in a documentary called From Vaxxed from Cover-Up to Catastrophe. Mm -hmm. You can get it on Amazon. Um, So Donald Trump not only heard this story, he was given a copy of the documentary Vaxxed. He promised to watch it. Mm-hmm. He asked that we keep it quiet until after the election if he won. Um, but he promised that if he won, he would pursue this and we would have further discussions at the White House. So very exciting stuff because he has heard, like many people do, he, he's heard people in his life say my child was normal before vaccination. And then, you know, like you shared with me, gee, I brought the kid home and he screamed for two hours like I've never heard him scream. Mm-hmm. Um and so we're excited about that. You know, our group is nonpartisan, and I really just want to say this. You mm-hmm. know, there, there's no Democratic or Republican autism. There's right. just autism. Right. Um, and, and, you know, we've been disappointed before. So it's kind of surprising, but I go over it in the book, how in 2008 we met with John McCain, we met with Hillary Clinton, we mm-hmm. met with Barack Obama. All of them promised to get to the bottom of vaccines and autism. Mm-hmm. Obama even promised that... that he would have an autism czar um, in his administration. And, you know, we got, what, 13, 14 days left, and we still got no autism czar. I do find it interesting that um, soon after Trump was elected, he actually came out publicly in an interview and and talked about how he was um, going to actually explore this, to investigate this. And so he has gone on record. Yeah, and 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 the the biggest example of it was the September nineteenth, two thousand fifteen, uh, presidential debate at the Reagan Library, where um, uh, uh, the Jake Tapper actually said to uh, Ben Carson, "Hey, uh, you know Trump thinks that vaccines are auti- are linked to autism. Should he be quiet about that?" And the exchange that they had was extraordinary because Trump said basically the same things that he said in other interviews, that he thinks that there's a link. People mm-hmm. who he trusts have told him there's a link. We're doing too many too soon. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's kind of funny because I, I've i studied this issue a lot, and, and, you know, I think that there's a whole lot more going on. But, my God, I was so thankful to hear, you know, Trump be open to it, Ben right. Carson to be open to it, mm-hmm. and Rand Paul to be open to the question as well. Interesting. And, and there was an interesting study recently that said, about 33% of, or 31% of Trump voters think that there may be a link between vaccines and autism, but also 19% of Clinton voters think that there may be a link. And so, you know, my whole thing is, you know, this is not a political thing. Um, Republicans and Democrats have both messed this up, and there are good people on both sides. One of our biggest advocates is Robert Kennedy Jr., who's been just sterling on this thing. Mm -hmm. Um, but, you know, we need to come together um, to get to the bottom of this, because when it comes to the health of a, ch- of a child, there there should be, you know, no room for bullying and, and only trying to get to the truth. Absolutely. You know, we normally would have gone to a break by now, but we are going to skip that today to f- complete this, this important conversation. So, Kent, how do we get to, from this place of sort of shifting the politics so that it's no longer the, how do, how do I put this? Um, 
it, it's like the the pharmaceutical industry has a lot of power and has has sort of affected how this has unfolded. How do we get to a place of not only finding the truth but shifting our system so that we have clarity, so we have transparency, and so we have fairness? Well, I, I think people need to wake up to this. Um, and so, I mean, that's why I wrote the book in the way that I did. I mean, it's got over 500 footnotes, so if people want to check my sources, they're free to check my sources. Uh-huh. And also, I think that if the political bodies um, start taking a look at this, um, you know, if Trump starts talking about this publicly, um, this is also being investigated by the House Government Reform and Oversight Committee under Jason Chaffetz because they want to call the whistleblower to testify in front of them. Uh-huh. If we can get those things happening, um, I think we can change this. I mean, think about it. Um, you know, the statistics I just gave you mean that essentially 25% of the public already is curious and thinks there may be a link mm-hmm. between vaccines and autism, even though there has been this total media blackout. I right. mean, that really is remarkable. Um, and I think that what's going to happen, and the reason I say, you know, I want to tell this story of the whistleblowers, because I actually think on the other side of this darkness, mm-hmm. there is so much hope. Yes. And so there's one doctor who I think is just brilliant. He's at the University of California, San Diego. His name is Robert Navio. And he's come up with, with what I think is the best theory of autism, which is that there's something called the cell danger response. And so what he says is that when the cells think that there's some danger, and that danger can be chemical, it can be viral, it can be bacteria, uh-huh. the cells respond by not talking to each other anymore. And so he's been quoted as saying, when cells stop talking to each other, children stop talking. And so he's been able to quantify this. He's also been able to find medications which get the cells to start talking to each other. He's published three animal studies where these animals have autism induced by overstimulating their immune system. Um, he's uh-huh. done it with, And it's really remarkable because he's even done it in a model of fragile X syndrome, which people call, you know, genetic autism. I, I tend to think it's a little bit different, but I can understand why people would say that. Um, and he's also been able to do it in animals who have a human age equivalent of 30 years old, mm-hmm. meaning that the body may just be shutting down because of this overreaction. So it's almost like it, the brains of these kids are in hibernation mode. Mm-hmm. Um, they're conserving energy. Um, and if we can get those cells to start talking to each other, um, we may be able to recover these kids. And mm-hmm. I, I think this, this has um, applications not just for autism, but probably for things like dementia and Alzheimer's. When you think about it, yeah. you know, the, the brains of these older people are not working properly. And, and one of the reasons I think this so strongly is because the whistleblower, Dr. Thompson, actually asked his superiors at the CDC to look at the data on vaccines among the elderly and Alzheimer's, and he was turned down. Oh, wow. And so, oh. so see, I, I think that there's this, you know, my book has this amazing darkness to it because I really can't think of a more wicked crime than covering up harm to children. Right. But on the other side, and I, it's in the book, is I think there's this amazing hope because Dr. Navio actually has completed his first study with children, mm-hmm. um, and it's not published yet, but the rumors we hear are 
that the results are remarkable. Um, so I think that if we do the right thing, you know, in two to three years, we might, ha- you know, we might have this thing fixed right. if we do the right thing now. Yeah. So, you know, we've focused a lot on the, the one human study um, that where this data was manipulated, some data thrown out, thrown out to manipulate the results. Have there been other studies that have indicated the same kind of association? Yeah. So the CDC did another study before this looking at the question of um, mercury in vaccines and autism. Uh-huh. Um, and they found a dramatic increase. So basically, in the initial data, they found that the kids who got the most mercury had like a 7 to 11-fold increase in autism. Wow. The CDC then, quote, lost that raw data and was unable to get it back. So they did four different passes at the data to make it look like there was no association. But so what's really wicked is that the CDC has done two studies on vaccines and autism, first on the thimerosal or mercury in the vaccines, and then on the MMR uh, vaccine and autism. Mm -hmm. Both studies, they changed and hid the data, and then they used the information from those two phony studies to then say that the federal government, as of 2004, should spend no significant federal dollars investigating the question of vaccines and autism. So they closed down inquiry into this in 2004. So between 2004 and, say, today, how, what, is there an estimate of how many more children have been affected by oh, no, the yeah. MMR? How many? Uh, well, who've gone on to develop autism? Autism, yes. Uh, yeah, about a million. Uh-huh. And you cite a statistic about the, the changing rate of autism in our society. How yeah, has it changed it, over the last few decades? So in the 70s and 80s, the estimates were there was one in 10,000 children. Current estimates right now are about one in 50. Um, uh, A senior research scientist at MIT, Dr. Stephanie Seneff, has estimated that if current trends continue, by 2032, one in two children will have autism. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, it's going to devastate us as a nation. We're talking full-blown autism? Yeah. Or not, not like Asperger's, but autism. Autism, yeah. Shocking. I mean, think of the change from 1 in 10,000 to 1 in 50. Yeah, that is... You know, from 1 in 50 to 1 in 2. And, yeah. yeah and, and, and autism is so extreme that it's not like something that's mild that's now getting diagnosed more accurately. Because sometimes no. the statistics can change because there's better diagnosing. But this is, I mean, that is just so blatant and extreme. There's yeah, something you know, very wrong here. 85 to 90 percent of the kids afflicted with autism will never be able to hold a job. Oh, oh that's tragic. But, but you see, that's why I'm pushing this so much. I want people to, to go and buy my book and read it and think about it, because mm-hmm. I think that this, this problem is solvable. I think we're we're at the cusp of solving it if we tell the truth, if we're honest about it. Yeah. And again, if we get people the, upset. I mean, it's kind of like the, the whole AIDS epidemic. You know, it took activists getting angry to get the right things to happen. Right. Right. And again, I want to mention the title of, of your book, Inoculated How Science Lost Its Soul in Autism. Now, what's your website? 
Uh, it's uh, www.inoculated.org. Okay. Um, inoculated has one N in it. Everybody always wants to put a second N in it. Yeah, that, that's my inclination as well. So <laughs> I-N-O-C-U-L-A-T-E-D dot O-R-G. Yeah. You know, we've just got about a minute and a half here, Kent. Um, you've you've talked a lot about the the science. You've talked a lot about the the data and the politics. Briefly, as a father who's experienced this, what would you like to say? You know, I've thought about how to bring about change, and I really like what Nelson Mandela did in South Africa as sort of my model. He had three principles that he always followed. One was Satyagraha, which is the path of truth, which means you tell the truth, and and that truth actually has a power because people hear your words and they, they hear the honesty in you. Um, whereas your enemies will lie. Uh-huh. Uh, his sec- second principle was uh, himsa, which means even though I'm telling the truth about these terrible things, I really mean no harm to my enemies, those who may consider themselves my opponents. Uh-huh. Um, I want to bring them to truth as well, because I know that they have a spark of the divine in them as well. Wow. His third principle was Ubuntu, which means we are who we are through other people, um, and we need to create this sense of community. So, you know, what I have gone the spiritual path I've been on in going after this great evil is to say I'm I'm gonna walk the path of truth. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna walk the path of not wanting to harm my enemies and uh, I want to create a sense of community. I want to bring, you know, the, this fractured country back together um, over this issue and get us just focused on helping kids. That's fabulous. And on that wonderful note, I'd like to thank you, Kent Heck and Lively. Kent, thank you so much for being on the show today, but especially for doing what you're doing. All right. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us here today. I look forward to talking to you again soon. Bye, everybody. Thanks so much for tuning in today. If you'd like to empower yourself to step further into your vibration of change, please visit my website at christineupchurch.com, where you can learn more about my insights, upcoming events, and private sessions. You've just heard an encore presentation from the Transformation Talk Radio Network. For more information about the network, visit TransformationTalkRadio.com.